Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? I've been waiting a long time to be able to say this and actually, truly, 110% mean this. It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. Indeed, it is. Hummer, the Cincinnati Bearcats, long drawn out, multiple weeks, some would argue multiple year uh, nightmare has come to an end. Effective April 9th, 2021, John Cunningham, athletic director of the University of Cincinnati, released a statement stating that the, the University of Cincinnati has relieved John Brannon of his duties as head coach of the University of Cincinnati men's basketball team. What say you? I'm excited. I'm excited that the drama seems to have ended. Uh, I'm excited that it seems the university has a good handle on the process of how, how they went about this. Um, it seems like they were definitely trying to make sure that they were making the right decision, but also doing it, you know, in a way that that is for the benefit of the university, i.e. paying John Brandon as little money as possible uh, from a buyout negotiation, which, which will inevitably happen uh, over the next few months. Uh, interesting, interesting to see those emails once those get released from a freedom of information act request. Um, <laughs> no, for absolutely. I mean, I think first and foremost, this this for many people, and we definitely need to get into discussing John Cunningham's performance, some of the the shenanigans and antics of Brandon and his attorney as they departed and 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 left their official roles. But it feels good. I think first things first. I know we got to find a new coach, and we'll talk about that too. I feel really, really good that that John Cunningham got this done, that it wasn't all for naught, that we didn't come back with the lame duck coach. I think I think he accomplished objective one here, which is to remove a uh, a head coach that simply wasn't up for the task. And, and let's let's back up a bit, too, because let's let's quickly go over what led to this decision and kind of like if you look at the change in tone, even from us, you can go back to as late as March. I think it was March 16th that someone pointed this out, uh, 2000 and, uh, 2020, where I referred to Brandon once again as a Hall <laughs> of Fame coach and saying, don't worry about comparing recruiting classes of UCLA versus Cincinnati. You know, basically, like, we have a coach who I think can do this. What has led to the change that got us here? And I think the first thing I want to point out is we didn't really have success like we, we, we said at the beginning of the 2019-2020 campaign that a successful season would be defined by being a solid NCAA tournament team. Uh, being on the bubble would be just a, pretty much almost, in our opinion, say a disaster, if you would. But the way that the team performed in its uneven performances, I think you had two players in Jaron Cumberland and Trey Scott that hid a lot of, a lot of Brandon's uh, faults, if you would. For instance we kind of overlooked the unnecessary playing of Chris Vogt constantly at every opportunity. You know, we overlooked the comments that he had made about that were disparaging, uh, you know, Jaron Cumberland's leadership or Jaron Cumberland's style of play on the court. You know, we, we overlooked a lot of those things and they started to rear their head even more as we started getting into, and we started watching the press conferences. We're getting into it. Then when we see, into we get into this season, we're super excited. We have a great recruiting class. But let's let's be real. This is one of the most exciting group of freshmen that we've had in a long time. A lot of we, John Brandon's momentum came from the success he had in that recruiting class. Hundred mm-hmm, percent. Um, but you started to see hundred percent. Yeah. If you go and you read read, what is, I hate the saying because we say it so much. Reading the tea leaves when you're listening to John Brandon do these press conferences, you know he was never a coach who was willing to take take his take the fault as being his own. You know, he was always willing to put it onto the players or dump it in the lap of, of someone else and blame them for his shortcomings. You know, we, we said this at the beginning before we even got into conference play, the short non-conference schedule we had, we had Leonard Stokes on. We talked about how this team was lacking culture, lacking identity. That came from the top. And those things started to rear their heads even more as we started having more players uh, hitting, hitting the transfer market or just opting out for the season, quitting, you know, quitting midseason. Um, then you start hearing the rumblings that players are going to quit before the season's over. 
uh, or they're going to be there's going to be a mass exodus leaving. We'll get to that. What ultimately happened? Um, but I think the the biggest thing you're starting to look at is these rumors that I, I don't think they're going to be proven to be rumors, um, as people like to call them, because we know there are players who have spoken to members of the media. We know there's players who you know they don't want to be identified for obvious reasons. You know, w- with what they're saying, they don't want to be identified. They have other, their careers are just starting. They're an 18, 19 year old kids and their careers are just starting. But we know that John Brandon was talking bad about players. That's been reported. I mean, this it's is been reported. It's not, it's unfair to even call it rumors. Justin Williams, the number one reporter of Bearcats sports. And, and he's reporting, let's, let's face it simply on, on football and basketball. He's an ace and, and he's done in-depth reporting on what's happening behind the scenes. And it's not just subpar results and questionable coaching decisions and and lack of accountability in press conferences there are there are true problems behind the scenes or there were problems behind the scenes with regard to how he treated players emotionally mentally and even as in the most recent reports physically as well so to, for anyone who's questioning the, the reports let me be clear on that i'm talking about the report of a practice that had to be oh, stopped okay. by the medical staff because he was, you know, running the team so hard uh, to the point of exhaustion where IVs were being used on, on certain players. And, yeah, Not necessarily just, multiple practices. It's just another report in Justin Williams, you know, one of his articles about what we're seeing, what, what, what's happening behind the scenes that's leading to lack of trust, mass departures, and now in, in a comprehensive independent investigation of John Brannon and his basketball program. Right. And, and what I wanted to point out is like there's like there's a timeline of all of these events that happen that kind of snowball into this. All right. The conclusion here is logical because we, when we, when we talked to- about it. We actually did say this behind the scenes. We joked with the hashtag. If we're going to fire Brandon, we want him to fail fast and, cat- and catastrophically so we could get past this quicker. <laughs> That's true. Fail fast. Said hashtag fail fast. <laughs> um, and that is what happened. And this is honestly, I think, the best result we could have had. Because this this is a systemic issue with with John Brandon with players leaving, so this isn't like it's an isolated occurrence where we're like all oh, one year for six. It's six not isolated. It wasn't even limited to the six departures that happened after the season. I mean, no. there were other departures that were not accounting that had happened during earlier this season and then in the first season that you didn't even allude to when you were talking about that. I do think Humber that was a great kind of wrap up or or summary of how we got here. But I think in some ways it's a deflection and it's a tactic on your part to run away and hide from the praise that you heaped (laughs) upon John Brandon um, so profusely early on in his tenure. And I'm not going to let that fly. All right. People want to hear the clip, at least one of them. I don't have both of them, but I have one of them. I'd like to play it. And I think we need to talk about it. All right. Here's Hummer. This is Hummer. Uh, This is episode 1.28 Bearcats rising. We're excited. I forget what's happening exactly. We probably beat Tennessee or something. Hummer's excited. He's feeling himself. And um, anyway, listen to the clip. No, I don't want to. He's more willing to run, like you mentioned, bringing Jaron Cumberland in to play point, knowing that Jaron Cumberland's strength is creating and being creative off the dribble. And he's, he's you know, using Jaron's strength, and it's bringing the whole team up as a whole over the last few games when he's, when he's doing that. So it's really nice to see Brandon being a coach who can adjust his style and what he's willing to play and not just saying it's my way or the highway. I really, really enjoy enjoy that because to me that's, that's saying that we have a coach on our hands that is, dare I say it, <laughs> uh, you know, Brad Stevens, Coach K, genius level. He's going to be amazing um, as we as we develop this relationship with our coach over the next hopefully two decades because – you know, if he's on this direction, he might be uh, following his his uh, his idol or his his mentor into the NBA one day. <laughs> my, I just love Brandon. My eyebrows. I'm t- my eyebrows are I'm gone. Calling it now. My eyebrows are gone. I no From longer have any hair on my face. My head, my already bald head. Is now hairless. I think I as said well. Brandon. I said Brandon. I think after the first time we did a podcast about hiring him, that that he's gonna be he's gonna be a great coach like that. And so I'll take that hot take. It took- and I'll take it with me. And when it happens, ten years from now, <laughs> I'm in tears every time I listen to it. I've spent the past few weeks listening to it and sending it to you. 
Okay. Let's get it out. I can tell you what I was thinking back then. We can go through it. I meant it at the time. I'm not going to hide it. When we first hired John Brandon, I was, I was excited. When we first hired John Brandon, I said to myself, I'm not going to do what we did with the Cronin, the Cronin hire. I'm not going to get out there and, and just, you know, not be on team Cronin just because, you know, you, we were so in love with Bob, Bob Huggins. So I wanted to be, I wanted to be different this time. So we got on Brandon, we were, you know, enjoying it. And, you know, back in that time, I think that clip, if when that happened, this was after the was this after the hot take or the the prediction that we needed to give Jaron Cumberland the keys to the kingdom to let him take over the game and basically change from John Brandon's style that he was you know force feeding force feeding the cats into over the first few games of the season last year or 2019. Uh, so we get to there, he makes the adjustment. We're happy, we're excited that he did it. I am at least. So I make the bold prediction <laughs> of John Brandon, Hall of Fame coach. And as we sit here today, John Brandon is no longer in the Hall of Fame conversation. He is in the Hall of Shame conversation. Uh, it is over, done. I will probably wear this badge of honor. Uh, won't make the same mistake again, though, you know, whoever the next coach is, Eric Martin, God forbid if it's Archie, Archie Miller. Uh, they will not be getting the same accolades immediately. Uh, <laughs> He's still laughing. I can't even talk. <laughs> the clip is so good. <laughs> Coach K, Brad Stevens, genius. <laughs> so here's the irony of that, right? <clears throat> so we think like at the time, that's like a good move. But then when hindsight's 2020, and I think we, we said that like two, the two games before that he needs to make that adjustment and he finally makes it. <laughs> And we're lauding him for it. But then this year, too, we, we made a comment where he needed to go switch to the small ball lineup. And he did that, like, two games too late. Right. And, I think in and hindsight, like, we're like, we're, the fact that we were calling things, calling for changes in lineups and how we're playing these guys, and we were calling it before he was doing it, is, is probably a bad sign. It probably is probably, yeah, it's probably not Coach we watched, K or Brad Stevens. We're definitely, <laughs> we're definitely uh, what do they call them, armchair, armchair coaches. Oh man, I, part of the reason I'm laughing so hard is the look on your face listening to that clip, oh. and it just <laughs> it hits everything. It talks about his 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 how brilliant he is, how smart he is, how he's gonna be here for twenty years. Two years. <laughs> two. Two years. Oh, uh, all right. Brutal. Well, technically, well, was it two years? What did he make it to the full two year mark, or did do we? Technically cut that. When was he announced as the head coach? I think it was literally two years. I think April 9th is when he was. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a full two years. April 9th is when Mick Cronin left for UCLA. Okay. Well, so while we're, while we're talking about that date, keep that in mind. Mick Cronin left for UCLA on April 9th. Everybody has been clamoring about how this process is taking too long. We're going to be losing out on recruits. You have to bring a new coach in right away. I, I, we're fine. Guys, we're fine. We're, we're truly fine. We're moving along from this. I'm not getting any expectations of like magical runs next year. If that happens, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. It's going to be exciting. Um, but what I'm saying is this isn't death of the death of the basketball program by any means. If anything, we're looking at the ability of a true rebirth from, uh, from the ashes of the Phoenix, you know, the, the Bearcats <laughs> will fly, uh, and so like right now is, I guess, the time I'm saying is, look, we can be excited. We're getting a fresh change. We're getting a fresh start. Whoever they're coming into this, this program. Um, and I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to call them Hall of Fame too. All right. I'm going to call them Hall of Fame. Uh, I got to pull it together. I just can't, I can't even get my thoughts straight. But before we move on to assessing how John Cunningham has, has handled this whole thing so far, just giving our maybe grades, if you're going to hand out a grade, like it's a term paper. I, one thing I'd like to touch on is the actions of John Brannon and his attorney, Tom Mars, on their way out. And it was clear the moment that Cunningham released his statement about, about relieving John Brannon of his duties that they were going scorched earth and they were going to take anything and everything that they had at their disposal and, and release it to the national media, which let's be, let's be frank here. 
they didn't pay attention to the Cincinnati Bearcats this season, and, and they haven't paid much attention to us over the last two years. We are, we are an afterthought to much of the national media. Folks like John Rothstein, who is a notorious suckler of teats, so long as those teats give him access to information, and it's primarily for, for head coaches. And we know one of them is Mick Cronin. We've talked about it on the podcast before. Pillow talk, baby. And he, he wrote a, a disgusting article, and, and I'm, I'm kind of jumping the gun here, but what I really wanted to focus on was Pat Forty released a text message that was apparently from Luke Fickle to John Brannon, and I'm not even going to do the justice of reading it verbatim on this podcast. No, the insin- just just say, basically saying that what happened to you, John, is bullshit. The way they handled this is bullshit. All right, that's paraphrasing the text, but that's using a lot of the words, the same words that were in it. Um, and, 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 so, and he here's signed what I think, Luke. though. He I signs his text messages, Luke, which is just yeah. And I, well, I think that's funny that they did that in a sense because they clearly like the whole goal is like. And there's a podcast out there. We're not going to rehash the contract stuff. There's a really great job that's done by B Fox at Bearcat Sports Radio uh, with Justin Williams, and I forget the other gentleman that they had on the on the show, Nick. Um, yeah, sorry. Sorry, sorry Nick. Nick. Um, but either way, they did a really good job hashing out the contract, hashing out kind of maybe why we're seeing the process play out the way it does. And one of the things Tom Mars wants to do is to create chaos. He wants to create panic, and he wants to create like panic from the administration side, outrage from the fan base side, because that helps John Brandon get a bigger buyout. And let's be clear, there will be a buyout. There will be a number that the university is going to pay to say, let's make this thing go away. There's going to be a number that John Brandon accepts to say, okay, I'm done with this. I'm going to go away. It's about what that number is. I think that was a very bad miscalculation by Tom Mars to bring in our Lord and Savior of university football, Luke Fickle, into this drama uh, because it backfired on him. Fans went Ape shit on him like basically why would you why would you release that why are you dragging this guy into it no we're no longer mad at at we're not mad at luke we're we're mad at you we're mad at brandon for wanting to drag this guy's name through the mud you know like don't well be, tom mars tom mars had been kind of uh vaguely referring to this magical document that was going to prove that you know what john cunningham was doing to john brandon was absolutely absurd and a lot of people joked about it, right? Like, what was it? The birth certificate? Was it a birth certificate? <laughs> what what document can you possibly have, Tom? That's going to uh, completely contradict I, the investigation that John Cunningham's doing right now. I was I started believing that it was actually a performance review. That's what I was saying. If I had to speculate, I'd say it was a performance review. Yeah, uh, that that's what that's what my speculation. And, and it sounds like he was barking up that tree. You know, there was some some reports right before. Um, right before John Brandon was fired that that speculated that he was having his performance reviews written by the wrong person. And those that that person wrote, you know, effusive praise about how John Brandon was leading this program. No, Tom Mars, the smoking gun document he had air quotes document was a text from Luke Fickle to John Brandon, basically comforting a guy he had a relationship with. Those words mean nothing. We don't know if how Luke Fickles feels. We don't know. We don't know what the context. Yeah, what's the context of the actual conversation? You blocked out the rest of the conversation. Look, I I don't even want to speculate. I don't even really want to speculate on what Luke Fickles' really feelings were for the for the text because half the conversation, actually all of the conversation except for that response, is blacked out. So context is is huge. So we don't need to speculate on it. I think True. the part that that Tom that Tom Mars's miscalculation was is thinking that that's going to create outrage. That all of a sudden that UC fans are all of a sudden going to jump to the backs of Brandon because Luke Fickle says it's bullshit. Um, no, if anything, I think it inflamed it, it inflamed us the other way around. Of like, whoa, 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 wait a minute! Now you're trying to drag our, our our Lord and Savior into this. You better you better cut that out, Tom. Yeah, you're using personal text messages for leverage in your buyout negotiations. That is yeah. some of the weakest crap you'll ever see from John Brandon and his attorney. Good riddance. Happy to see you leave and uh, looking forward to, to who's next year with the Cincinnati Bearcats. Look, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what side you were on. Like if you're for if you're team Brandon, 
And as long as you're not actually in John Brandon's camp, like you're not being your employment does not revolve around John Brandon being the head coach of the University of Cincinnati. You're not a family member of his. You're not a close personal friend. If you're just a fan of the University of Cincinnati Bearcats, we are now all on the same side. And that side is we want John Brandon to, frankly, get the lowest possible buyout because that is what is best for the University of Cincinnati. That is what is going to be for the, in the interest of the university. We also just want to move forward. We want this to get resolved quickly. We want it to go away. You know, so it's, it's kind of moving past that part. Like the outrage, time for outrage is done. That was the last two weeks before this was announced. Outrage at whatever side you were on. Now we're all on the same team. Let's get back to being a unified Bearcat force. Let's get excited about the next guy they're going to bring in. And look, we, we're going to have some stuff to be excited about. Some of these candidates that we're talking about, I think, have surprised, like, I think some of them are surprising potential as we're digging into some of their backgrounds, how they got to where they're at today. Uh, I don't know if we're jumping the gun on our, on our list here, but it sounds like it's a, a natural segment into what's next. But before we do that, let's actually grade John Cunningham's performance so far in this process. John Cunningham so far, Hummer, in my opinion, has done a, a solid job. Like, I don't think there's a lot to knock here. And I thought the interesting thing about the process when looking at how people started trying to shift blame from where we were, where the team was, where the state of the program was, there was this attempt to shift the blame from Brandon to Cunningham. And it just, it always seemed off mark to me, given that the current state of the program is literally a result of the, the, the distrust that John Brandon had sowed amongst his basketball players. We had a mass exodus that led to us only having four scholarship players on our team. John Brand, John Cunningham, however, is doing what he needed to do as an athletic director to begin investigating those things, getting more information about what's actually happening behind the scenes. Do we need to consider having a coaching change? And then when it was very clear that, yes, we do, we need to make a change, he did everything in his power to make sure he's doing it for the, with the right reasons, the right ammunition. And we're moving on now. I mean, it's, it's on April 9th, we were going forward with the process of finding a new coach. I think he's done a very solid job so far in handling this. I, I would agree. Uh, I, I don't, once again, this is, this would be speculation because you would imagine that the boosters are involved with this and, and, you know, after listening to, to what, what Bernard, Bernard Fox had to say, uh, Barnabas, which whatever we're calling him nowadays, uh, you know, he brings up a good point that you probably have the boosters who were ready to fire him without cause, right? They were, they were sick of what, you know, sick of what they're seeing, the direction. Honestly, we could talk this up to John Brandon's undying, passionate love for Chris vote as probably his ultimate undoing. Um, <laughs> but either way, they the basically root cause analysis of all of his problems. Yeah. The root cause analysis is refusing to, to, not play like honestly could you imagine this i was thinking about this in the shower the other day this was a shower thought could you imagine how bad we would have been had chris vote not fouled out so quickly like got so many fouls so quickly early in games yeah like and, and just stayed on the court 30 yeah. 32 minutes a game running the offense through him with two minutes to go like the play yeah. like that, that was the plan preseason yeah it would have yeah. been good it wouldn't have been good but either way i digress um basically what i think is is you you do get these boosters who are like all right well we still want we have the money. Well, we can get him. We can get him gone. But we're gonna. We don't, We want you to go through the process. Um, because let's be. In my mind, I don't know what the official document is going to say he's fired for. But I'm guessing it's going to be creating like you know this this toxic work culture, um, and basically almost like a lack of care for the players. It seems like a lack of care for the players' health. Uh, whether that's mental health, whether that's physical health, I think those are both going to be in there. Um, and it's projecting. That's projecting a bad a bad rap on the university. You know, it gives us a bad name. It's dragging our university's name through the mud uh, when you when you hear about that stuff. Um, I think, yeah. look, Cunningham. Also, we had no recruit. We're having no recruits, no recruits lined up, I think, was was scary for him. But I know, I but we're, get, we're getting sucked. We're, I know what Cunningham. We're getting sucked back into to relitigating why we did this. It's obvious. Let me get back, back to my track here. I think what John and Cunningham did really well about the process, he didn't just jump into it and just make a brash decision. Everybody's out there like, oh, we should have fired him a week ago. Okay, like this is a, con John Cunningham is dealing with, with employment that is different than say you or I. You know, at the end of the day, he has a contract that he has to go through and you have to go through checkpoints on that contract to make sure that you are doing what's in the best interest of the university. 
I think that's what John Cunningham did in the way he handled this. He handled this in a way that was the best way for the, the university to come out on top. And John Cunningham where, did the difficult thing. John yeah. Cunningham did the took the more difficult path in this situation, which is to to fire John Brandon. The easier path would have been to say, "This is COVID. This is a COVID season. We're not gonna we're gonna give him a blank slate. He's gonna get year three. Deal with it." That would have been the easiest path forward for John Cunningham. Yes, there still could have been allegations. Yes, there still could have been an investigation. But at the same time, they could have come out and said, "We've looked into it." Um, or maybe they can't. Maybe maybe everything is is too bad behind the scenes that they just had to do this and his hand was forced. It just seems like getting rid of a coach after two years is a decision that an athletic director is going to feel a lot of pressure for, because there's it's so fast and so abrupt, and it's such there's such financial repercussions for it potentially if you have a higher buyout that it's a little more risky for him. And I know the job's not completely done because all he's done so far is got rid of John Brandon. You now have to hire a coach and you have to hire someone who's going to do a better job than John Brandon did. Right. Well, look at the way he just look at what he did. Look at the process that he went through. So we know that they were doing basically the internal investigation, probably, you know, starting sometime in February. I'd imagine February, early March is when when they probably began it. They they dug out their information, they got it, they knew what they wanted to do. So we all thought the announcement was going to be that they were firing John Brandon, but it comes out that they're bringing in independent fact finders who are basically going to verify and get more, more eyes uh, dotted, T's crossed. Maybe they come up with any, something that, you know, like a smoking gun type of violation that, that you can terminate him for and not have to pay him a penny. Either way, they're doing their due diligence. That's what they're doing. They're, they're making sure that what we have is correct. And look, that internal investigation didn't drag on forever. Look, what was it, a week? couple weeks was it two weeks I think it was about two, two weeks a two-week two week investigation. investigation okay it's two weeks at the end of the day this isn't this isn't going to stop any recruiting recruiting that's necessarily that's going to happen we're going to be fine i think on that front what hurt us with recruiting was not having any recruits for 2021 <laughs> right that's, well said that's that is, what hurt us that's that's kind of the final note there that's really what hurt us and that's why we're in the situation we are in so on friday the night we hear that uh john brandon's been dismissed on Saturday, the 10th of April, we have started to, to get names as to who he's having conversations with. The process for replacing John Brandon and hiring the next University of Cincinnati men's basketball head coach has already started, Hummer. And I think we need to kind of go through these candidates and get a sense of who 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 are the people that are favorited right now to get can this we, job. Can we start with what my opinion is the worst of the candidates? Please, by all, by all accounts, please do. Why do people want Indiana's poop? Why do you want Archie Miller? Like people are like, like acting like Archie Miller is like going to be the God, the savior and God of, of University of Cincinnati basketball. The man just flamed out hardcore at IU. Like hardcore. It was brutal. Yeah. It, has, Archie Miller. So let's run through kind of his profile here, get a better sense of, of exactly what we're working with. Overall, Archie Miller is head coach and he's been a head coach at Dayton from 2011 to 2017 and Indiana from 2017 to 2021. He has an overall record of 206 and 121, a 631 percentage in the NCAA tournament. He's five and four. He's been to an elite eight with Dayton. Um, however, when you look at his performance with Indiana starting in 2017, 16 and 15, nine and nine in the big 10, 19 and 16, eight and 12 in the big 10, 20 and 12, nine and 11 in the big 10, 12 and 15, seven and 12 in the big 10. And at that point is when the Indiana donors stepped up and Archie Miller was fired with a 10 million dollar buyout and now he is being sport this is a this is a for without cause termination <laughs> they're saying we don't want this guy around anymore here's 10 million big ones to go buy yourself a mansion and leave the hoosier state behind archie is a very big name in the college basketball landscape i think some of that is due to the fact that he has a very high profile brother sean miller who was also just fired at arizona and Archie did have success at Dayton. I don't want to dismiss that. I think 
I didn't go through the records there, but they were very solid. You know, 20 and 13, 17 and 14, 26 and 11, 27 and 9, 25 and 8, 24 and 8. He was 139 and 63 at Dayton with a 688 win percentage. Solid, very solid, very good performance. Honestly, it's a, it's a hell of a jump to go from that Dayton job to Indiana, and it didn't go well at Indiana. He bottomed out. It's a tough job. Not a lot of people have done well there since Bob Knight. But still, it's surprising to me how much energy and enthusiasm there was for Archie Miller as the leading candidate for this job. He may end up getting it. I think I could probably still talk myself into it based on he is a good recruiter. He does have ties to the region. He is only 42 years old. It's not like he's, he's you know, completely lost cause as a coach indefinitely. But it does seem like, is, is he the guy we want to take a shot on? Like, is he a sure thing? I don't know that he really is. I don't think anybody that we're looking at is going to be a sure thing. I just think with what you're looking at with Archie too, is it's probably going to be one of the most more expensive routes routes to go, or maybe not because he seems to be desperate. He's a guy whose name's not linked to other, other big programs at the moment. You know, question, can you be desperate when you have a $10 million buyout coming your way over the next three years? No, what I mean, like desperate is if like you're by, he doesn't have prospects for coaching there. No, no one's, he's not like being lined up to take other jobs that, that were, were vacant. You know, in Cincinnati, I think I don't I didn't look up the, the the venues or not the venues, but the schools also that with openings. I have to imagine that Cincinnati is still one of the higher profile jobs that's available out there right now. Um, and we were talking about this. I think when you're looking at this particular university where we sit, not only just the history, but the proven the proven ability to have success here and sustain success. Um, this is a program that I think it's better off. It's a better program to take. The University of Cincinnati college basketball job and saying taking a bottom of the barrel ACC job. You know, this isn't football. This is basketball. Where football, that might be different. You can go to a bottom barrel ACC school. Maybe you're going to recruit. You're going to get the big five money. Maybe you can do better. I don't even know if that's necessarily the case either. I think Cincinnati football might be a better job than some of those as well. Uh, but basketball in particular, getting to the tournament almost might be easier to go through a route of, of schools like Cincinnati, Houston, Memphis, get sustained success, build your, build your identity and your culture, and then just run through your conference, getting into the tournament. Um, you know, and then, and then I think that's, I think it's a, it's a high profile job. I don't think we're, we obviously don't have any shortage of candidates. We have people lining up who are clamoring for our job. We have people lobbying. We have some hall of fame basketball coaches are actively lobbying for their protégés to have this job. So a little bit more about Archie. His team was top 50 in Ken Palm this year, although Ken Palm really had inflated the Big Ten this season. 34 the year before that, 52, 44. Not, not an elite, um, not an elite offensive coach by any means. If you look at these offensive numbers, not great. He's known for his defensive coaching. He's known for his recruiting. Again, ties to the region. I just think you you make valid points. There there are there are guys lining up, but it's not. We don't have huge names going for this job. Our our leading candidates are not. Again, nobody is a quote unquote sure thing. We don't have Rick Pitino on the ballot here. Rick Pitino is not an option as as much as I may want him to be. I'm you know maybe I'm willing to sell my soul right now get a guy like slick Rick in here and say, take me to the promised land. Just do whatever it takes. Look, I get what you're saying there too. At the same time, you know, look, we're not North Carolina. We're not Duke. You know, we're not Kansas. We're not UCLA. Those are schools that go in and poach other coaches from big name schools. UNC could probably go and poach Michigan's coach. Because it's UNC. Or can they? They just they just hired Hubert Davis. That's right. that's their replacement for for Roy Williams. Well, that's what I'm saying. They that, those are jobs that you would imagine that those are those are jobs where people say, "Oh my God, I get to coach at the legendary North and Carolina." People thought okay. the same thing about Indiana when they fired Archie. The whole idea was, "Hey, they're paying ten million dollars to let go of this guy. They must have someone lined up." And then they end up with Mike Woodson. And Mike Woodson may do a fine job there. He's had success in the NBA. He's, he seems like he's putting a good staff around him in Indiana, but that's a 63-year-old 
not name brand coach. Dude, that's that's what I'm saying. You're starting, you're starting, you're starting, to, you're starting to hit the point I'm, I'm slowly getting to, which is that a lot, I feel like a lot of these coaching hires, you do have to like do your search. You do have to take a chance on some guys. And that's where I think that we're really getting into next is, is Archie the guy you want to take a chance on who, you know, Dayton, Dayton had him. He did, like you said, did good at Dayton. IU went to have, uh, give him a shot. And look, they invested significant resources to make sure he wouldn't get poached, make sure he wouldn't leave. They had to fire. They, they fired him without cause because they were sick of the direction that he was taking the program. So if we're going to say pluses and minuses for Archie, the pluses is age, 42 years old, recruiting, ties to the region, connections, maybe the ability to hire a staff, but otherwise his, his negatives are just, frankly, what happened at Indiana. He never, he what, never had a winning at. record in the Big Ten Conference. What, what happened at Indiana, it's, he's a guy, I, I, I don't know, to me it just feels it's a guy you're hiring who just got fired. Is this, do you want to, you want to give him a shot at redemption? Is that what we're trying to do? Or do we want to give some, someone who, you know, has been, been building up their resume in the wings and is ready to get a shot. And, you know, that's where I think we can move on from Archie and get into, get into the next guy let's, who interviewed on Saturday. Yeah. And let's it, talk about it, him. These two interviewed on Saturday. And I think the, the thought is they interviewed as a pair. I don't know. That's speculation. Um, Separate interviews, but we're going to talk. Being... I want to talk about Eric Martin on his own because I think yeah. Eric Martin is the is one of the two most serious candidates for the job right now. I think there's yeah. questions as to I don't know if Archie's number two or if Dennis Gates is who's another guy we're going to talk about as number two. Eric Martin is a very serious candidate for the job right now. Former player under Bob Huggins at UC from 1992 to 1993, Final Four and Elite Eight as a player. And then now he's got a 15-year run here with Bob Huggins as an assistant coach. He has not gone above the assistant coach level. He has never been a head coach, but he has been with West Virginia as a key contributor, assistant coach, right, right-hand man for Bob Huggins for going on about 15 years at this point. Eric Martin is being, is being advocated for by Bob Huggins to boosters and from what I've heard, to John Cunningham himself. Bob Huggins is very much involved here in trying to advocate for Eric Martin as the next head coach of the University of Cincinnati Bearcats. The minus here from Eric Martin's perspective is obvious. He has no head coaching experience. So you don't know philosophically exactly what you're getting. You haven't been able to see results specifically from him as a head coach. That's an obvious negative. It makes him a little bit risky. It's not normal, I would say. I think we to have University right. of Cincinnati being your first head coaching job ever, but that is the the quote unquote red flag or in the minus column is lack of head coaching experience. The positives are big. What are the positives? All right, so I'll, I'll I'm going to take this from an article that was written on the Blue Gold News, which is the uh, West Virginia Mountaineers website. This was a basically an interview done with him uh, in June or July of 2020. And, you know, they say one thing, the only thing left for Martin seemingly is a shot at a head coaching job. He's had some offers in the past, but he isn't going to jump on something just because it's available. He says timing is everything. Looking back on a career that was hinged on several key moments that have worked out very well in the long run, in a perfect world, I'd like to get a job in Ohio. But in reality, I've lived and worked in about 20 states. I feel like I'm ready to take the next step. Uh, but it's all, it's all up to the good Lord is when that opportunity presents itself. So basically he's happy. He's one of those guys where he's happy where he's at. He doesn't want to just take a job for the sake of taking a job. And like I just said before, Cincinnati is a great position if you get it. And I think that's the plus that I'm really going to circle back around to with Eric Martin is if he is a home run, if he is a guy that succeeds, he's going to be a guy I think that we're not having to worry about jumping ship because at the last, the last thing we want is to become Xavier uh, just a perennial churn of coaches parading, Doesn't parading matter. in and out, parading in and out of uh, Nor Norwood. The last thing you want is becoming Xavier full stop. You don't need to say anything after that, but I get exactly what you're saying. The, I think it's funny, the head coach conversation, right? I'm only laying it out because it's the obvious criticism for Eric Martin. But here's the thing. I hear the criticism of Dennis Gates as, come on, guys, we can't hire another Horizon League coach. Well, that puts Eric Martin or somebody like Eric Martin in a very odd or precarious situation, right? Because if you do go take a smaller head coaching job, 
at a place like Cleveland State or a smaller conference like the OVC, the Horizon, if you do that and you succeed, you're going to have people say, well, come on, that conference doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Or you stay as a high-level assistant at one of the biggest, most successful programs in the country. Yet, when you go for the job, people say, we have no head coaching experience for you. This is why I think I'm, I'm willing and comfortable looking past the lack of head coaching experience, especially because we know exactly who he's coaching for. We know who he's working for, and we love who he's working for. We have a long history with Bob Huggins. A long, passionate love affair with that's been at times a wild emotional roller coaster you know bobby huggins bob huggins aka the man in the golden suit um you know if we hire eric martin i hope the i hope you know obviously he takes all the lessons that he's learned from the from the mr 900 career victories bob huggins um who has several several high profile coaches underneath his coaching tree let's talk um, about that we need to at least will, mention will, who these guys are if eric eric if eric martin gets the job i personally want to see him don a a red suit on the sidelines of 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 the bearcats i want to see i want to see him take that page out of pop huggins book and wear the red, wear a red suit wear the red suit on like um, on game 1 corny don't do it, Eric. Don't listen to Hummer on this one. Corny. I'm fine with the, if you want to do the jumper, like old Huggy Bear, that's fine. I, the Bob Huggins coaching tree is one of the biggest defenses for Eric Martin. Bob Huggins is someone who's got over 900 wins now as a head basketball coach in men's college basketball. His coaching tree includes the likes of Mick Cronin, Frank Martin, Brad Underwood, and Andy Kennedy, amongst others, right? I'm just going to stop there. Those are names that everybody listening is going to be familiar with. I'm not saying he has the best coaching tree ever, but in that list there, you kind of know what you're getting when you get a Bob Huggins assistant. You're getting tenacious defense. You're getting a team that's going to be tough as hell. You're getting a team that's not going to get bullied and absolutely demolished on the boards. You're never going to get punked on the court. Look at these teams. Cronin, Martin. Underwood. I mean, these are tough defensive minded coaches who know how to build up and build a roster, recruit well, and, and execute a vision for what they have in mind as it pertains to what style of basketball they want to play and what type of players they want to bring into a program. Eric Martin is part of that coaching tree. If you hire him as a head coach, he is in that long line. He is learning from a guy who has successfully helped assistant coaches get to that level in the past, in the past. I think that matters. It has to count for something and it shouldn't be overlooked. No, it shouldn't be overlooked. I honestly think, and I want you to try to, you know, talk me out of this with, with the other guys, because Eric, Eric Martin is honestly right now on my, my top of the wish list. Uh, especially if I don't know if, if Van Exel would be, I think the way I read this, uh, might've been on, might've been on, uh, I don't know, some particular journalist from Cincinnati.com who, who doesn't like Justin Williams, it appears. Um, I think he had reported basically that the idea was is that if Martin is hired, that Van Exel would be on staff as an assistant coach. Um, I think that that kind of pair is, you know, I think it's a, I don't want to compare it necessarily directly to Memphis, but it gives you a little bit of that star power going into recruiting because Nick Van Exel was a very, very good NBA basketball player. Good enough that he also was on the NBA Jam uh, basketball game as an L.A. Laker. You know what I mean? There, there is a little bit of that, that cachet to it when you're recruiting, um, you know, when you have that. And then with Eric Martin's experience being, you know, the number two man at, at West Virginia, very successful program, you think by now he knows what it takes. He has what it takes. He know, and he's going to know how to run a program. Another very good thing that I think that Nick Van Exel will also need if he's going to be propelled later on in his career, because also Eric Martin, I think might be the oldest of this list. He's not that old, but he's, he's, he's no, pro approaching. 50. He's on the verge of being 50 years old. Not five. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's old, but let's say he has, let's say he has a 15 year career in him. Right. 
of the head coach. I don't know. I, I can't go out there and say he's Hall of Fame yet. I got to wait till you put some results up this well, time. Yeah, um, don't, be, don't be afraid to go out there again. If you're ready to put the throw the gauntlet down now, by no, all means. Not yet. But what, what I'm saying is, though, if, if, if Nick Van Axel is on a staff, he gets a chance to learn and grow. And you know where Eric Martin got his growth and learning from is Bob Huggins. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's all adding up the pluses. I'd say he's a very strong candidate for the job. I think he's stronger than Archie Miller, but it's the next one who I think you're you're excited about. Which well, is, the in, the intangible. I just want to put a bow on it. The intangible for Eric Martin, and especially if you're pairing him with Nick Van Exel as a as an assistant coach, the buzz in the city for the for the Bearcats is going to be off the charts. I mean, the excitement from the fan base as a whole will be insane, knowing that. This is a guy Bob Huggins vouched for. We're bringing the the boys back home. These are our own guys. We're keeping it in the program. It's the same thing you see at UNC. I mean, it's bringing in former alumni who have cut their teeth at other jobs. And Eric Martin has done exactly that at West Virginia and saying, we want you to rebuild this here at Cincinnati. And I think it would be fun. It's a, it's a hell of a storyline. I think he's a great candidate. He's, he's well-deserved to be a top two, top three guy in being considered for the role. And we'll have to see how it plays out. I think he is very much in competition with Dennis Gates, who's 41 years old, currently the head coach at Cleveland State. He's been there for the last two seasons. The program was in absolute shambles when he got there, and he has taken them already to the NCAA tournament this year. And they lost in the first round to a team we're very familiar with, Houston. They lost to Houston by 31 points. That in itself is already a little bit better than a, a certain someone I know. <laughs> That's a bit, a bit tongue in cheek. Uh, before that, Dennis Gates was the lead coach, a lead assistant coach with Leonard Hamilton down at Florida State, where he had tremendous success recruiting. And if you know anything about Florida State basketball, you know that they have had no shortage of talent down there. Jonathan Isaac, a name that comes to mind. Uh, and they built, you know, a hell of a program that's competing for a ACC titles year in, year out at this point. Dennis Gates played no small role in that. Um, before that, he was a player at California, uh, Cal, from 1998 to 2002. Look, he's at Cleveland State. It would be the second time in a row we're going back to the Horizon League. That's the biggest criticism I hear about Dennis Gates is, please, no more Horizon League coaches. I can relate. I can sympathize with that sentiment, but folks, they're two different people. Just because they coached in the same league doesn't mean they are the same person. In fact, everything I have read and learned and watched about Dennis Gates would tell me he has a very different appeal and a very different approach than John Brandon. So I'm not really afraid of the Horizon League comparison. It's really just a matter of do we want to go outside of the Bearcats family in this case, hire a young up and comer who has also been considered for jobs like Boston college and DePaul. He's a Chicago native. He's very tied into different recruiting circles across the nation. I'm just saying this is a, this is another chance to go a little bit outside the box for a young coach who has a lot, a lot of credibility, particularly in the national media and, and take that for what it's worth. Look, if it ultimately ends up being Dennis Gates, it's not someone that I'm going to be upset about. You know what I mean? I'm not going to go and, and grab my pitchforks and, and want to be going burning down the AD. That is quite literally the what I want to do if we hire Archie Miller. Um, but with Dennis Gates, I could get behind it. That's that is it. I mean, he's you know he's he's done his dues. He's gone around. He's 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 another guy like Eric Martin who's doing it the right way, right? He's gone and been an assistant had been an assistant at successful programs, very successful programs, not programs that just settled for 500 records um, like a previous coach uh, at Alabama, but, you know, parts of successful staffs given his own, uh, given his own chance to run a program immediately turns it around. Like you said, young up and comer could be, could be a great get. This could be the, this could be, a, it could be a blockbuster hire in that sense. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of upside to it. So Eric Martin, Dennis Gates, both have, I think, tremendous upside from, from that regards. Uh, I'm not going to be upset by that one. Yeah, it's, it's, and there's not much more to say, really, about Dennis Gates. He seems like a great candidate. Uh, if you just go, go on YouTube, watch some interviews with him. He's very uh, personable. You kinda, I kind of like the vibe he gives off. Um, Leonard Hamilton and everybody at Florida State speaks incredibly highly about this guy. Rising star and, you know, 
does have a ton of buzz again with people who know and follow college basketball. However, these are the same people that were also writing hit jobs on the university of Cincinnati because of how we handled John Brandon. So uh, a little torn there. I don't want to use that as my, as my ammunition for why I would consider Dennis Gates a favorite. I just do think that the, the reputation he has for recruiting is very attractive. The fact that he has some, we mentioned it before with Eric Martin, the fact that he doesn't have any head coaching experience. Dennis Gates at least has a little bit of Cleveland state and has now a track record of making the tournament at this point. But I really don't think that's the end all be all. It just shows that um, there are signs that he can run a program. Well, now I can tell you, I was looking at the, the, the same uh, author on Cincinnati.com. Just throwing some shade here. He also has a potential candidate listed as Sean Miller. Get the fuck out of here with that. All right. Sean Miller was literally fired for basically just breaking the cardinal rule in NCAA college basketball. Whether you agree with that rule or not, it is a major rule, right? It is a rule that got Rick Pitino fired from Louisville. And now he's in basically, I guess, basketball purgatory at Iona. Oh, he's in his heaven. He said it's heaven for him. Yeah, he's in his, he's exactly in his heaven. He's in his yeah, heaven. he's in his heaven. All right. Um, I'm sure he would have loved to still be at Louisville, but that's that's the, that's beside the point. I don't want Sean Miller. I don't want anybody coming near this program because here's, here's the other thing that people aren't realizing. This is why this program is not, I repeat, is not on the verge of just total and utter collapse. We are not on this like we're as as what you might call it as john rosting put it an all-time low we have zero ncaa sanctions we have all of our scholarships we're not on probation we have a still have a great reputation the next person is going to come in here and the, the, the stage is set for you to have success john brandon should have had more success with the stage he was given because from all accounts mccronin ran a squeaky clean program right and he had two of the best players at that, that uh arguably two of the best players in, in Cronin's tenure on, on his squad. Um, so whoever comes and takes us over, I'm, I'm year one. Yeah. It's probably going to be a little, little ugly. Who knows? Maybe we get lucky with the Wichita state type turnaround, very possible. Uh, but this program, we're fine. We don't need someone like Sean Miller, who's showing a willingness to just complete and utter disregard for the rules of the NCAA. And to be clear, that just seems like picking a big name out of a hat because by all accounts, he's not even remotely being considered for this job. So yeah, we don't have to worry about that. In all honesty, I think that's my opinion of Archie is in many ways influenced by my disdain for his brother, Sean. It's probably not fair to Archie. Um, I just think there's, there's other options out there that would have me more excited as a Bearcats fan at this point. Some other names that are on the list that we're not going to go in depth on as much. If you want to give me any reaction to any of these names, Nick Van Axel, Darren well, let's, Savino. Let's, let's, well, let's hit Nick Van Axel real quick. We can, but let me just run through the names. We'll pick and choose who we want to talk about. Nick Van Axel, Darren Savino, Bryce Drew, and Jerome Tang, who's an assistant coach at Baylor. Those are some of the other names you know, connected to the opening. All right, I'll, I'll start with Savino then before before uh, we hop on the Van Axel because I think Savino is the easiest one to kind of shoot down. There's <laughs> a reason. He, why is he easy to shoot down? Uh, because we moved on from Kermit Cronin. Um, I don't think we're ready to go back to that necessary, that, that style again immediately. Um, we're, talk, we're talking about going to Eric Martin, which is going back to Bob Huggins. That's fine. It's different. It's, so we're so far removed from, we're a generation removed from, from Bob Huggins. Um, Two generations, I don't know, I just, technically. Two, yeah, two generations removed, you know, so I think that's okay. Um, I just, I'm just not into it. I'm not really, I'm, I don't know. I'm not into it. I'm not, I'm not buying it, but Nick Van Exel is intriguing. I don't actually, the more I like try to talk myself into it, I don't think he would be the best decision for a head coach. I think his best right now would be being on, on the staff, like as an assistant coach or even assistant head coach, you know, but um, I'd love I'd love to see Van Exel back on the bench in an assistant capacity. I think yeah, I would love to see of, that. In terms of him being the head coach, here's here's the quandary: is that we have we have other candidates that are just as strong. I think that are have been and are currently involved in the college basketball game, and I think that is an advantage that's built in with them. They have inroads in recruiting that are probably greater than what Nick Van Exel has at this point. They have more familiarity with the inner workings of the college game, uh, the rules, the regulations, the, uh, the, 
just the know-how of what it takes to really run a program. And that I'm including Eric Martin. I'm including Dennis Gates. I'm including Archie Miller. They've all been in the trenches. And I think that that, that says something. And, and it, it should say something in terms of how you consider these guys. That said, if we can get Nick Van Exel back here as an assistant coach on any of these guys' staffs, I am all about it. 100. I think we already talked about the recruiting. I, he's one of those guys. You're going to be, it's, it's, you know, for lack of a better term, celebrity recruiting. There's, you know, Penny Hardaway gets big recruits because he's Penny Hardaway. I guarantee you that's a lot. Of, like, he, it gets him uh, in the, the door. To be fair, though, there's, some, there's, there's more that goes into it. I actually like the idea that he's been a developmental coach at the NBA level. And those are that's a skill set I'd love to have on our bench. Well, yeah, I know, who, I know, I know that for sure. A guy who knows how to develop talent and develop skills and improve players, please, please. Well, I'm just gonna, I just want to pick on Hep Cronin a little bit, you know, because I heard he's a really nice guy, but he made a comment during the NCAA tournament, basically comparing UC to UCLA and saying, you know, you have to have a a, a tunnel dug underneath there were some recruits' house to get into if you're if you're UC. Or other schools, but UCLA, you get a free pass through the front door. Uh, I think there is a level of cachet that you get when you have a former NBA player uh, of that stature walking in through from a recruiting perspective. It helps you get through the front door a little easier, so you're not you're not having to back channel into some of these guys' houses. So I'm excited about. But that's a really good point. Having him on staff, he has the the developmental side, which is huge, obviously, here in college basketball, because it's where we see a lot of guys taking that huge developmental leap in their game. Which is yeah. also something you can you can recruit to when you're you're not just saying I'm Nick Van Exel. He's saying I'm someone who's been in the NBA game now for multiple decades. I know exactly what it takes to play at that level. I know exactly the type of skill development that's required. And if your son comes to play at the University of Cincinnati, we're bringing that to you. We have yeah. NBA level development at our program instantly by bringing someone like Nick Van Exel on the team. So if we can get him on the staff, I love the idea. I just think he's a little bit outgunned in this, in this job search right now because of the strong candidates we already have. Um, the other names, Bryce Drew. No, thank you. Hard pass. Please. If you, if you are someone who believes in Bryce Drew, someone who went literally defeated he had a he had a zero wins in conference play one year while at Vanderbilt. I don't know what the appeal is. I've heard he's a good recruiter. That's that's about it. That's that's all I can tell at this point. I don't know why why Bryce Drew would be the best option for us. Doesn't sound like we're very far down the road with him anyway. But hard pass from my standpoint. And then the last one, Jerome uh, Jerome Tang, a fine candidate, assistant coach. But again if we're talking Jerome versus Eric Martin versus Dennis Gates, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what Jerome is bringing to the table that is elevating him over Martin or Gates. If you're going to make the case for it, it would be the fact that you're an assistant coach on a national championship team. And Baylor has been incredibly strong for the last 15 years. They bring in very high level talent. You know, I'm already talking myself into it. He's a very good candidate. And I'd like to find out more. I don't know enough about him to really speak that intelligently on him. He's late to the game for me. Your 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 uh your train of thought there was just incredible. You're just like first you weren't on it, and you're all right. I've talked myself well, into. I, I was trying to. I was basically saying like, all right, Eric Martin and Dennis Gates seem like they have better resumes, but at the same like Jerome, he's doing what Eric Martin's doing down at Baylor and and potentially doing it better. <laughs> you know, so there's there's something to be said for that. I do think. College basketball in many ways is networking. Look how many look how many programs have alumni tied to them. That does give Eric Martin a little bit of a leg up and it does give him kind of the home field advantage is, is how I would describe it. So he, he's got some work to do. He's climbing, he's climbing an uphill battle here, but Jerome Tang does seem like an intriguing uh, potential candidate as well. Any, any, any other wish list names you just want to throw in Hummer that if you had your dream scenario, and money wasn't an object and it could be any name rumored or not rumored at this point. Who would you, who would you say? Honestly, I don't have like a, a, a wish list. That's probably not on our list. I think the candidates that we have circling around are strong enough that I think there's a lot of players or a lot of coaching, like who are, who are worthy of the Cincinnati coaching job. I don't think there's anybody particular on that list, except for my, in my opinion, this is just my opinion and my opinion alone. Archie Miller. I don't want him or his brother. Um, I just don't, I don't want to touch you. Him. You may be in trouble here in a couple of days. 
I know, I, and that's fine. If I, I'm going to jump on, I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong. If he is hired and he's ultimately the coach, I'm going to be a bandwagon fan on it. I'm going to jump on, support him. I'm not going to come into it with with the hatred. Uh, he's just not. He's not. He's my anti wish list. Um, I would rather see us give it to. You actually were talking me into it. Someone like Jerome Tang or someone like Eric Martin. Um, I'd rather lean towards Eric Martin in that case, knowing that you know he knowing this, frankly, that he's been patient with wanting a head coaching job anyway, knowing that he wants to do it in Ohio, you know, it means when, when he has sustained success, I don't think we're, you know, it's all about whether we want him or not. It's the same thing with Mick Cronin. That, that was a, do we want him anymore or not? I think type of situation, um, you know, so I think that's something we keep in consideration. And my, in my view, I think Eric Martin is the, the leading candidate here. Yeah. There's a chance. I, it sounds like Archie Miller is interviewing Sunday night, no matter, I don't know when you're going to be listening to this podcast, but um, I was trying to get to the bottom of, is he doing this interview in person flying in, or is he doing it over zoom? Like the other candidates did. If Archie's flying into town for the interview, that seems like a big detail, right? That feels like a different type of interview, but time will tell. Humber, uh, I think you they- made a great point. I'm, I'm going to get back behind whoever they end up hiring. I'm going to have opinions and stronger opinions about certain candidates than others. Right now, my my power rankings, I think, would go in the line of it's close. It's it's close. I think I'm leaning number one, Dennis Gates, number two by a hair, Eric Martin, and then number three, someone like like Jerome Tang. Um, I'm I'm lower on Archie as well, personally. I could be talked into him. I'm ready to get behind him if he gets hired. And it sounds like he's the leader in the clubhouse of if I'm hearing right, but um, we'll see, man. I think it's interesting. I'm happy that we're moving on to a new coach. That's, that's where I'm at mostly. Yeah. You know, and I think a big tall tell sign is, you know, new coach is going to come in. You're not going to hear him uh, talk, talk shit about Jeremiah Davenport, you know, a returning player, uh, you know, probably a leader in the clubhouse. He's probably not going to hopefully, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things you can do to instantly be better than John Brandon. Um, any of these candidates should have that ability. Um, I, I don't agree with your power rankings. I think Eric Martin over, over Dennis Gates. Uh, and then Archie Miller is like way down there with his brother, in my opinion. Eric Martin thing. I want to, I want to make Eric Martin my number one from a sentimental standpoint. I think that would be such a fun story to have the program back in the hands of a, of a former Bearcat. And I know with the connections Martin has to that 92 team, like it does not seem out of the realm of possibilities that he would well, have. That's what I was just going to ask. That's what I was just about to ask with the connections to the 92 team in particular with Terry Nelson and um, how vocal he is. Uh, if they hire Archie Miller, is he, is he flying off the handle? Is he going off the wall? Is he, uh, is he angry that, that his, his teammate, former teammate, didn't didn't get the nod. I don't think so. I think I suspect that they are much happier with how John Cunningham has handled this process than how the previous administration handled it. Mike Bone, in terms of who they're interviewing, how they're going about interviewing. Yes, they're moving very quickly. I think if you're going to nitpick the process, it's that because of how Cunningham, if you you could argue if he could figure out a way to to speed up the investigation, to speed up the firing, it gave him a little more of a window to do interviews. The process is moving so fast right now. We might be hiring a coach in a matter of days. That's not a lot of time to really do. We're going to have another Friday, a Friday news dump. No, I think they're going to hire him early in the week. You think, you think we'll have someone? Yeah, because I think I, what I have been hearing is that Cunningham has made promises to guys like Mike Saunders, Jr. Tari Eason and the other departing freshmen that he wants to be able to make Cincinnati an option for them. And the only way to do that is to hire a coach. I think it's a little bit of a flawed logic. I'd love to see those guys return to the University of Cincinnati. I don't think we can force the speed of our decision based on their timeline. Right? Well, I get I get that, but I also think with the the once again, it's going back to this is a job where it's highly coveted. People want this job. There are people clearly lined up, either flying in or doing Zoom calls about this job that you can do it quickly 
you just have to make sure you've interviewed the right guys. Yeah, that's it. He just, he needs to just go through this process, make sure you're exhausting every option. That's why Jerome Tang is such a fascinating interview. If he's actually getting an interview, that's, that's kind of going off the beaten path a little bit to someone who's not in the circle, not in the area, but an interesting candidate. Nonetheless, let's leave it there. I don't think we have anything additional to add at this point. We're probably going to be back later in the week when we hire a coach, but it is good to be talking about something other than our uh, misgivings with the prior coaching staff and Hummer. I'm looking forward to and eventually turning we'll the page. Football. We'll get back to football. Uh, yeah, optimism, baby. Optimism and, and, um, and, uh, and happiness is coming back to Cincinnati Bearcats athletics. Oh yeah. Cause uh, just real quick, I saw someone was, I forget who exactly it was, but uh, I'm starting to see Cincinnati popping up in the, uh, the playoff predictions. Early, early season, baby. Hey, look, last year we talked about how good it was. We talked about it in October. We're in April, and we're being talked about as a uh, a, a pick for the for the playoffs. Playoff. Just remember, should I be a buzzkill? No. If we, if we go undefeated, we can get – there's college football, man. I'm cynical. I'm a little cynical on the – We go undefeated. If we go undefeated this year because our non-conference schedule is, I think – just, just the addition of Indiana and Notre Dame is good enough that we're they're, they're not they can't overlook us this year. I think they can though. I think they will. I think I don't think are. they will, man. I don't. I don't anyway, agree with you. Let's leave it there, Hummer. It's been great talking with you. I'm glad we're back on the pod. These will start Hall of coming fame, more Hall of Fame coach Luke Fickle won't let us down. <laughs> Thank you for uh, <laughs> indulging me with that clip on the pod. Talk to you later, buddy. Cheers. Yep.